Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello again. Welcome to Nature Biotechnology's first Rounders podcast. I'm Brady Huggett. I'm the host of the show, and the guest today is Bob Langer, Robert Langer, to be to be official. Um, you know, we just had George Church on. Uh, like like George Church, Bob Langer is a huge name in both the industry and the academic research side of of the biotech industry. He's a David H. Koch Institute professor at MIT, where he also runs uh, the very productive Langer Lab. He's been a co-founder on more than forty companies at this point. I, I can barely even keep track of them. He's won the National Medal of Science, the National Medal of Technology and Innovation, and many, many other awards. We talked about this on the podcast, but it's been estimated that his contributions to medicine have touched more than 2 billion lives, which is almost beyond comprehension for me. And on top of that, he's just an extremely likable and approachable human being. I did this recording in his office on the MIT campus. He carved out some time, and I brought equipment up. I was setting up in his office before he was in there, and this, the walls in his office are covered. I mean, every inch covered by honorary degrees and awards and you know, frame certificates, the things that have been handed to him for his accomplishments. And I thought, wow, I mean, he, he hung up every award he's ever gotten. And then I thought, well, what else would you do with it? I mean, if somebody has taken the time, they've looked at your work, and they've taken the time to acknowledge that what you've done is notable or exceptional or worthy in whatever way, and they take the time to give you an award. I mean, what do you do with it? You don't throw it away. You don't, you don't just stack them in, a, in the corner of your garage. And it sort of seemed to me like, like what Bob has done is he's taken those awards and he's said, uh, well, if you're going to give me this, I'm going to honor you by actually hanging it up. And he's hung them all up. It's, it's humbling to be in that office. I mean, I don't think I've ever won an award for anything. And, and uh, I'm in the presence of hundreds of them sitting in his office. So what did we talk about? We, we did talk about the sheer volume of uh, his work and his output over his career. We talked about his path from, the, from chemical engineering to the life sciences. We talked about growing up. He grew up in Albany, New York. Um, his father was in World War II. He, he's basically spent his entire career in either New York or Massachusetts. And we talked about that and much, much more. So yeah, that's it. Let's get into it. Here is your first rounders podcast with Bob Langer. Listen up. So I was impressed. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I think this... Should, so, just a couple of things. Sure. Uh, you, you can get as close as you want to How this. How do you recommend a particular... I think we're good there. 
But the, the one thing, I mean, just be comfortable. We're going to talk for a while. But if you find yourself pounding away on the table, understand that that is sending shocks right up through the, the mics, right? That's so I shouldn't you. pound. Yeah, that's up to you. But if you do it, just be aware. Okay, that I'm, I'm not a pounder, so we'll see. <laughs> so I want I mean, I, uh, you're, you're one of those people where there's a fair amount of information out there. But I wanted to sort of talk about you were, you grew up in Albany, right? Yes. Yeah. How did it happen to be that that's where you grew up? Were your parents there for a long time? Yeah, so my mom grew up in Albany, and my dad grew up in Troy. And uh, I think my mother's mother was also from Albany, and my mother's dad was from Albany, so my grandparents. And then on my father's side, I I think his father moved up from New York City at one point, but... But, I mean, he lived in Troy most of his life, so Troy, Troy's right next to Albany. Yeah. I mean, was there some reason for a job or an industry? Or- oh, I say. Well, my grandfather worked—my my one grandfather worked in a brush factory, and my other grandfather worked in a clothes store. And, yeah, then my dad, you know, he grew up during the Depression uh-huh. and fought in World War Two. Oh, we did. And then he was, uh, you know— Really, he ran small businesses. Actually, he ran a pool hall with a friend of Troy, and then he ran a small liquor store in, in Albany. Yeah. A, p- a pool hall, like billiards. Yeah, yeah. It was really funny. One time, I, I, I mean, that's a really strange you know, story. I was getting an honor degree at RPI, and I was they, somehow, I, uh, you know, because so I was in Troy, saying that what my earliest memories were. They asked me to give some speech. And I said, one of, my, one of my earliest memories was like being a little, like, you know, a year or two old, and I was crawling under these billiard <laughs> tables in this pool hall in, in, in Troy. And, uh, you know, and after that, like, somebody comes up to me. Actually, quite a few people came up to me. Well, they said, well, what pool hall? You know, and I, I, I had no idea what the name of the pool hall is. But then I remembered the the name of his partner, who was a guy named Eddie White, and he said, oh, Whitey's, you know, or something like that. It's still there. I, well, I don't know if it's still there, but, but I mean, people, I guess quite a few people in Troy played pool. I would think so, yeah. yeah. So you, you literally grew up, like, in the pool hall, like, in, in well, and out of there. Uh, about, I mean, you're very young, but... Super, well, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't go that far. I think my mom, mom might have taken me there to see my dad every so often. And then they I, weren't, like, the, the, the pool players weren't babysitting you, is what they, you I don't yeah. think so. It was just something I remember. And then, then he, you know, he also ran a small liquor store in Albany after that. I think the pool hall was like I was, you know, really little. Yeah. So those are his main, that, that was the main source of income, those two jobs. Yeah. Yeah. First, I mean, he was like a small business owner. Yeah. I mean, that was, yeah. And your mother? My mother took care of me and my sister. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it was just, I mean, she, she just, uh, you know, looked after us. My mom's still alive. I mean, I'll probably see her tomorrow. She's oh. uh, 95. Yeah. Wow. That's good genes. Yeah, well, my dad died at 61, so, you know. That's not good genes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But so your your father was in the war, in World War II? He was a navigator over Italy, yeah. Yeah, so it was a tough, tough time, but yeah, Yeah. that's what he did. Do you remember that? Like, is that part of... Oh, no, that was before I was born. No, no, but I mean, like, um, do you remember that part of him, I guess, where he was still relating to World War II? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I still remember... What he said, you know, because if you were in World War II, you saw so many of your colleagues die. And yeah. he always said that he felt so lucky, you know, every day past that he felt it was a gift. That he didn't die. Yeah. 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 So that every day he could spend with us or my mom, my sister, you know, he considered that a gift because yeah. he, he, he thought he wouldn't live. I mean, do you, do you think, and then we'll, we'll move along, but because my, my grandfather's in World War II and, and huh. looking back now, 
you can sort of see what you would consider PTSD, right? The term didn't really exist yeah. back then, but, but do you think he had effects like that where, you know, those are horrible things? Yeah. I don't think so. I think, I think though, being exposed to, to the Depression and being exposed to World War II, I mean, I think that affects you. You know, I think you feel an appreciation of, of now yeah. rather than, you know, so he, I, so I think it certainly has, has effects on how you think about life. Yes, yeah, so, sort of almost you realize how bad life can be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I get you saying about it being a gift. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you, if you grew up, you know, sort of with a father who was a, a shop owner, um, where, where did the, the interest in science begin? Yeah, well, so, well, first he was a, he did that, but he was a very smart guy. He he had skipped two grades in high school uh-huh. or, or in school. He, fin- he went to Union College, finished second in his class, and then he he went to Harvard and got a degree in English. But he finished, uh, you know, in 1937. It was the Depression. I think he had, you know, like a offer to do teaching in North Dakota or something like that, and he didn't want to go there. So, but he was a very smart guy, and he and my grandfather they played like math games with me when I was little. And then I'd get, uh, and one of the things that I liked, and I, I've seen this with other people who go into science too, is when I was a little kid, they had these uh, Gilbert sets, Gilbert like erector sets yep. and chemistry sets and microscope sets. And I, they got me those as presents, and I love those. I would, with the erector set, you know, I'd build like a robot or parachute jump thing and um, rocket launcher with a microscope set. You could watch like shrimp eggs hatch and with a chemistry set. I set up a little lab in our basement. It was like a dump, but I was, you know, I had this, all these chemicals there, and you know, I'd be mixing things together and watching colors change. And I mean, so those those things, I think, probably had had some effect on on me yeah. liking science. Yeah, but uh, but also, I mean, they were presented to you, but you took to them. You had an affinity for it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, because but they were, I mean, in a way, they were like toys, but they were kind of interest different. Twist on toys. Yeah, engaged your mind in that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, would you, did you start thinking about? I mean, if you're thinking, well, okay, my father had an English, an English degree. He was a shop owner. You know, were you thinking about, okay, my life might be something along those lines, or did you start thinking that science might be? I don't think I had a clear idea. You know, I just, I mean, I, I never really did. I, I think I just, uh, you know, I, I mean, I like playing sports. I like, you know, hanging out with my friends, but I just had like. There wasn't a particular thing that I, I had in my mind, I, I don't think, I, uh, I, that I was going to be. You mean all the way through high school or even? Yeah. Well, when it goes through high school, you know, then you're sort of forced to think about where you're going to go to college. Yeah. And and what to study maybe too. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I didn't know. I mean, I it's ridiculous when I'll tell you. I mean, so I ended up, both my dad and my guidance counselor, they said, well, you know, if you are good in math and science you should become an engineer. But so I was good in math and science. I was terrible in English and French uh-huh. and everything else. But I was I was good in math and science. So I, I didn't know what to do. So if the, I said thought if all these people who know more than me think I should be a engineer, then I guess I'll do that. But I actually thought engineers like I thought they ran railroad cars or stuff like that. <laughs> I was trying to think why why is being good at math and science important I mean, I should for work that? for the railroad. Yeah. 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 But so but they were were they thinking mechanical engineering? You I think? don't think that they, you know, they I, I know. actually don't think they knew. Yeah. You know, I think they just thought, because I don't think, and again, this is sort of maybe the lack of exposure. They just knew enough that people would say, 
you know, math and science. Physics, go ahead, yeah, engineering. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, so I, I think it was more like that. But I, I didn't get specifics. I, But you had to be, yeah, That's but you had to think about stuff like that. Yeah. So then you thought, okay, you went to Cornell, right? Yeah. So then you thought, well, is that the only school you applied to? No, no, no I you... applied to a number of schools. Uh, I, I applied here. I didn't get in, uh, MIT. Uh, I, I How dare pl- they? <laughs> worked out okay. I, it worked out okay. But but I always well that that was also interesting. You know, I remember when I had this interview, like the guy he kind of asked me, you know, what you were asking in a way, like, well, what did I want to study yeah. in in real detail? And I thought, gee, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I really didn't know. Yeah. Uh, and so, at any rate, yeah. So Cornell Union, I where my dad went RPI. There was a number of places, and and. Uh, and Brown and I, I uh, but Cornell seemed nice. I also got this New York State uh, Regent Scholarship. That's like a so that you know that pay, helped, for yeah. par, 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 pay for part of yeah. it. And um, so you know, I thought Cornell was really good. So I went there. Right, and and you were you were still sort of thinking. Well, they they said engineering. I'm probably going to be an engineer. Yeah. Well, you have to decide. So the en- Cornell had schools. So engineering was one of the schools. That was a school I applied to. They have. Like ten schools. I mean, and you know, arts and sciences. They had yep. a hotel school. I mean, you know, a lot of different different schools. But yeah, so I applied to engineering school. But that was even tricky because, you know, at the end of the first year, you do have to decide what type of engineering you're going to be. What type of engineer you're going to be. And I had a, I thought taking all these courses like in physics and other things, those were very difficult for me. But chemistry, I enjoyed, and I. Um, did pretty well in it, so I thought, okay, chemical engineering, but oh. I didn't know what chemical engineers did. Oh, I mean, okay, interesting. So you thought, well, my, I mean, I'm doing best in this, and this seems a little easy, so that must be where my talents lie. That, that plus, I, I liked it. I always like, I liked the sort of, I, I like chemistry. I felt it was interesting, you know, and I still, and I did. I remembered the chemical reactions. I, I was always fascinated with magic and yeah. the changing colors, and that these reactions could happen. That, 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 that held. That held a lot of interest for me. Huh. Uh, yeah. So then, when, once once you get in it, and you start really sort of now you're taking the higher level uh, chemical engineering courses, did things start to open up for you a little bit? And you thought, well, okay, this is what it is. Yeah, not really. You know, it took me a while. So I'd say the first couple of years, you know, my first my sophomore year, I learned, you know, you're learning about distillation columns and stuff like that, and I didn't like that very much. And then, then my junior year, actually, I took organic chemistry and of course everybody hated that and I yeah. actually really liked it I just but and I did very well at it I, I got A pluses both times and I but I liked I liked it I, I could sort of figure it out and and uh, and then I so but so I started but I started out my first I started out you know having a hard time I've never been a good studier and I, I'm sure I mean, today they call what I have ADHD. You know, I couldn't pay attention in class. It was very hard for me to to do that. And so, but I eventually I started to figure out, well, I should uh, do problem sets. You know, if you do problem sets and you're an engineer and you get good at the problem sets, you'll 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 do well. And I so my first year and a half, I'd like go to the lectures. I try to pay attention. I couldn't. I did terrible. But then the last five terms, I would sort of almost teach myself, and I, I. did, did did quite well, but it it it, um, it was hard for me for a while. And then learning it, I felt as I was going through chemical engineering, I, I really wasn't very excited about a lot of it. And so by the time I got to the end, I again got a couple job offers, 
and I um, right out. You mean right out of Cornell? Yeah, but I mean they were like running chemical plants, and boy, yeah, that would have yeah. been terrible for the <clears throat> chemical plants to have had me uh, doing it. And uh, and 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 so I I just felt like I, I'd be terrible at this, because so I thought I'd go to graduate school, you know, try to figure out more specifically what I might want to do. So I applied to different graduate schools, and you know this. And th- this time, I mean, I had done pretty well at Cornell, and I got in all the places I applied, and I. I came here. You chose here, yeah. yeah. So, but go, go, going back to the ADHD thing. So, did you? Uh, obviously, you got the work done somehow. Or did you just have to grind it out and just you know sort of force it into your head? Is that what you're saying? Well, yes and no. I mean, one, I ended up having a very good memory. I I could memorize stuff, and two, I would do problem sets. And I realized, like, if you're doing courses, it, it, I didn't realize this right away, but. What I would do, realize with the engineering courses and the physics and even chemistry, if I kept doing problem sets and getting good at them, you know, that then I could answer any question on a test. I see. Okay. And, and yeah. uh, so, you know, it wasn't so between the memorization and, uh, and, and just working on, on, on how to do problem sets, I'd, I'd um, you know, I ended up doing okay. Okay. So then you applied, got into MIT. Was that your first time? In Boston, I mean, you know, living here and oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, by that time, I mean, I'd li- I, I mean, I'd li- I've lived actually, I've lived three places in my life: Albany, where I grew up, Ithaca, you know, and then I went here. to Cornell, and then yeah. I've been here since 1970. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so then I'm you- in different towns in Boston, but but I've been in Boston for 49 years. It's sort of your, I mean, it's got to be like your second. Oh yeah, I mean, I love it here. I think Boston. It's, it's a great city. Yeah. yeah. So you, you you applied. Okay, so now you're gonna. This is for a doctorate in, uh, in yeah. chemical engineering again, right? And yeah. are you thinking, you know, okay, so my life is gonna be research. I'm gonna be a researcher. Well, I don't know that I had it that well thought out either. You know, I I um, I wouldn't say that. I just felt like actually what we, what I was going through, and I think the reason why why MIT appealed to me maybe more than any other school, other than that, it was good. Is also they had a variety. I think I still remember they had like eight areas of chemical engineering, you know, like bioengineering and uh. polymer chemistry and applied chemistry. And really, what was going through my mind, I suppose, was what aspect of chemical engineering sounded most interesting to me. And I wasn't sure, but I liked the fact that there were eight, and several of them sounded interesting. So that that was sort of what was going through my mind. What kind of I, I didn't think about research. I didn't think about companies. I, I just didn't know. I, I had no clue. So I, but I, but what was going through my mind was the type of chemi- chemistry or chemical engineering I do. Yeah. So you sort of just did the work that was put in front of you, got the degree, and then you thought, okay, now how do I apply this? Well, no, I, actually, that that's uh, that that'll take a minute or two. So I I, I come here. Yeah. I take the courses the yeah. first year, but then you have to pick a thesis. Yeah. So I picked a thesis, and it was this thesis in enzymatic regeneration of ATP. But really what happened when I was a graduate student, I mean, I did all that, but the way my kind of career went is I, when I was in, at Cornell, I got very interested in teaching. I was a teaching assistant and a course, and I really, really liked it, and I was pretty good at it, and I felt like I could explain things really well to students, and I really liked working with students. When I came up here... Uh, in 1970, you know, it was really kind of a time of ferment in the country, and you know, both, I mean, the, the the year before, you know, almost every, uh, well, I guess it was that year actually. I should say 70 itself, but it was the spring. You know, a lot of colleges shut down. There were yeah. protests everywhere. So, 
but at any rate, I felt like one thing I could contribute to was helping kids and helping communities by teaching because I felt like I could do something like that. So MIT had these programs like Education Warehouse and other things, or not Education, I mean the Urban Action was the MIT program, but then they had places in Cambridge like uh, Education Warehouse and they, uh, and so I worked through with them and I ended up, you know, tutoring different kids in different communities like Roxbury and stuff. And then about a year after that, I got a call from some people because they were starting this school called the Group School in uh, Harvard Square, and it was for working-class kids. Cambridge, this interesting place. Cambridge, despite the fact that it's Harvard and MIT in it, and it's not that big a city, has a, had at that time the highest dropout rate of any high school in the country. Yeah, and and so uh, and all kinds of drug problems and other things for different. People. I mean, so anyhow, I, they asked, you know, they, I guess, had heard about me. They said, well, could I help them start the school? In particular, could I help, you know, start a math program and maybe a science program? And I thought that was great. And so even though I was doing my thesis, I actually liked that a lot better. And yeah. I felt I was, and I did that, and I felt I was really making an impact. And so I spent a couple of years doing that. You mean like daily in the classroom? Oh, yeah. How, yeah. how old were the kids? Kids, high school kids. Oh, yeah. so every day you're in that. Every day you're in that. Almost every day, yeah. I mean, but I mean, I'd be working all the time. I mean, you know, when I so I'd do that, I'd come back and I'd work in the lab. Yeah. So, uh, but I really like the teaching. I, I really, so I, I spent several years doing that and I actually um, created, I, I, I set up several programs at MIT to create new chemistry curriculum for the kids and uh, other things and, and, um, and they were successful. I mean, they really made a difference. Uh, yeah, that's my question. Like, did you feel like you were you were reaching the kids? That they were better on they were getting a better understanding of chemistry and math. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Well, the, the 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 test of that. There's a couple of interesting stories on that. I mean, one is that, of course, just numbers. You know, the, this was Cambridge in 1971, so their policy was is very liberal. They said, well, you know, kids don't have to take math or science. You know, that's not a you know, it's flexible. They they should only sign up for it if they want to. Yeah. So when I first came, I think there were like 40 kids and five signed up for math. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, really? But the next year, there were 50 kids and 46 signed up for math. Oh, wow. And so uh -huh. it was clear, you know, they keep people count with their feet. So they, you know, I, I had certain ideas with math games. And same thing with science. Almost everybody would take that because we made, I think, a pretty interesting curriculum. And then I even came up with a summer jobs program. And, uh, you know, one of the... That's where some of the students from the school could work in different labs, like like the lab that I was working in or other labs. And, and you know, some, I mean, just to tell you two quick things, one of the women, I mean, she, I'm still, you know, friendly with her. Her daughter actually worked in, in our lab too. But maybe the most interesting story, there was this guy, Joey Boyle, and he had, you know, went to the school, was, had been a high school dropout before, and I got and he I got him a job in another lab, Jonathan King's lab, and and uh, you know I guess he moved to Alaska. And and what I remember is that in uh, must have been about two early two thousands, Chuck Vest, when he was president of MIT, he asked, would I give a you know for the incoming freshman class, would I give a speech you know just on what we do, uh -huh. so you know to the thousand kids. So I did, and at the end of the speech, this. 18-year-old comes up to me, he said, you know, who was freshman at MIT, he said, I just wanted to 
you know, say hi. I said my father, uh, you know, uh, you know, you taught my father is, you know, and is and it was Joey Boyle's son. Really? Yeah, that was, you know, but it's amazing to see that his, you know, son would, you know, that he that had had an impact on him, and that he would, you and know, come back. His son and, ends up at MIT. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that yeah. was that. So I think so. Yeah, I, I felt we did pretty well. Okay, so then, you know. When you finish with your, yeah. your doctor, you're like, well, I might be, I might be a teacher then. Well, yeah, though actually, I wish I, it, it took me a little while to get there, you know, because everybody else, everybody else, but that's right. I mean, but everybody else, when I was graduating, what they did is, and they would go to oil. Co- I mean, there was just a gas shortage; they'd go to oil companies, uh-huh. and I thought that's what I should do too, you know, because everybody's doing it. Big company, you get a job, you yeah. get a job, and that's what every one of my friends and classmates did. So I did the interview thing and I mean I don't think I was anything great at all but I got 20 job offers and I mean I still remember I you know I by the way I was very sheltered life I'd never been west of Buffalo or east of Boston I was 24 25 years old you know so now I'm going all around the country for these interviews and I got like I say I got 20 job offers four from Exxon but Shell everybody you know they'd all I mean like I say they probably had so many openings they would have given to anybody (laughs) but uh, but anyhow I I, I, and they yeah they'd pay a lot of but I I wasn't excited about it at the end of it you know and I'd go there I, I thought okay but then I'd come back and I'd think gee you know one of the some guy tells me that if I could just increase the yield of this chemical by 0.01%, that'd be fantastic. You know, it'd be worth billions of dollars. And I, I thought, I, I just, I can't see myself doing that. You yeah. know, I just, yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to make some type of impact. So after getting all those job offers, I decided I wasn't going to do that. And then one day I saw an ad to be assistant professor at City College of New York to develop chemistry curricula. And I thought because perfect. of the yeah. yeah perfect exactly and and so I wrote them but then they t- applying for the job but they didn't write me back but still it, it made it what 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 I felt about that was ne- that that's a path you know I could use my chemical engineering education to help people and I could help them in education so I wrote to all these different colleges you know there was this other uh, place there are different journals that had ads so I wrote to about twenty or forty colleges. Forty, oh my God. and they weren't. A lot of them weren't very good either. But they had, you know. They, but I thought they had. They had some effort in education. They had open positions, or either, just either, either both. Some had open positions, and some just had things like chemistry education. And so I felt like, okay, I would, uh, you know, I wanted to do that. So I wrote them, and I don't think maybe one. I don't think any really wrote oh my me God. back. So you wrote and said, "Hi, I'm, I'm." Uh, yeah, I'm Bob Langer. I've, these are my degrees. I've worked. I've, I've put yeah. together curriculum that it, it did this for these students, yeah. and I want to try to offer my services to you and, and nothing. Yeah, exactly. I, I wonder, like, does, is that just because things coming in the mail, they just get dismissed constantly? Or, I, think or it's, what is I think it's different. I actually think you have to – and I think that's sadly true for so many things. Like, if you don't fit in a, in a box in the right way, then they don't really look at you. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I didn't fit in that box. I mean, I, 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 I think I would have been very good, but I didn't – but I didn't fit in that fit in that box. They would have had no way to know what the group school was yeah. or what I did. And I mean, even though I'd gone to MIT and Cornell, I mean, I I don't think it mattered because I I, I was, you know, they probably thought this is. It's a, it, yeah, like you said, it, they look at it and go, "I don't really know what this is." I don't ex- have to do ex- it. Ex- but it's funny, like like if fifteen had dismissed it, I get it. But to not even get one response yeah. seems. Um, but they were. I mean, but it just. It just. It was almost the exact opposite of the oil companies. The oil companies, right. I get every response, yeah, and yeah, here I yeah. get zero. Um, so at any rate, 
And I could see that wasn't going to happen. So then, and I was sort of getting discouraged. And then, but I still, I, the clear idea I had was that I could use now, things were starting to come into focus for me about what I wanted to do and not want to do. And not want to do was very important too. So I could see I wanted to use my chemical engineering and chemistry education to help people. So I thought about medicine. I thought that's a, a good way I could do it. Yeah. So I started applying to different um, hospitals and medical schools uh, for a job. And they, they didn't write back either. You know. But then when I went to the lab one day, this guy, Barry Bunau, he, he said to me, he was a postdoc there. He said to me, he said, Bob, he said, there's a surgeon named Judah Folkman at uh, Boston Children's Hospital. He said, sometimes he hires unusual people. <laughs> and I, so I, I wrote <laughs> Dr. Folkman. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote Dr. Folkman, and I was shocked. He calls me up, and he said, well, would I come over? So I drove over, and, you know, he told me about his ideas about, you know, angiogenesis. You know, and I mean, and, and, I, and I thought these were fascinating, and I really liked him, and and so he offered me this job. I mean, it didn't pay anything like the oil companies, but yeah. I, I didn't care. I really felt like this is a way I could really do something important. I mean, what he wanted me to do was what would end up being isolating the first angiogenesis inhibitor. But I was going to say, this was early in the field, right? Yeah, yeah it was 1974. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah, so, yeah. so that was my job. Was, and so I went there. I mean, and I, I, that changed my life. Yeah, completely. So then you're you're uh, in his lab, kind of. Yeah, and you're uh, also teaching. No, no, no. Now no. in '74, I was just in his lab full time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. In fact, what I did is, so I did the stuff at the group school while I was doing the research from '71 to '73. I did that, and I still did a little bit after that. But then I figured I better finish up the thesis. The school was on really good footing at that yeah. time, yeah. and uh, and I figured I better get a, jo- a real job, you know. And uh, so '73 to '74, I did the job interviews, and I, I, I finished the thesis. Oh, okay. So then uh, when, when you start working for Judah, you know, what, what does this do to your, your thinking? You're like, okay, I've got all this chemical engineering background, yeah. and now I'm working on angiogenesis. Did you start to think, well, you know, how can I apply this strictly towards medicine from here on out? I didn't think about it like that, but I did, I, I, you know, and I, I, I didn't really even care about what it was, but I do think chemical engineering background did make a difference. So the goal was... Could we prove that angiogenesis inhibitors exist? Could we isolate ones that could, you know, really the first ones uh-huh. that could stop blood vessel growth? So we kind of broke it down into two things. One, where could we get an angiogenesis inhibitor or anything because people didn't believe in it? And there was some evidence that cartilage, which is in your nose and your knee, uh, could, could stop it. And started ext- extracting, you know, getting cartilage getting more and more cartilage, uh, making arrangements with places and uh, meatpacking places in South Boston to bring get all the cartilage they'd have from bones. And, uh, you know, I even, like, work with somebody to come up with a cartilage scraping machine. Anyhow, but we did all this stuff, and I'd keep extracting it. I'd have all these different fractions. So that was, like, one part of it. The other part was creating a, a bioassay. That was a really hard thing because it were hard to do some type of quantitation. And uh, so we... Mike Jambroni, who worked there before me, he had shown that if you put certain uh, tumors in the eye of a rabbit, it would cause blood vessels to grow. And so what Dr. Folkman and I thought about was maybe we could have a little polymer system that we could put right next to it that we could take any of these large molecules that was isolating from cartilage and put them in there and maybe release them for a month or two because it took that long for the vessels to grow. And then we could measure the length of the longest vessel. And so that's how... I got started. I was I sort of worked on both projects, isolation on the one hand, and then the bioassay, and then of course putting them together. 
Into polymers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I think, um, you know, tell me where I'm wrong, but you started, you're applying for, for patents and grants. Is that right? That came a tiny bit later. Yeah. Just and, t- and, and sort of much. like not getting any traction there either yeah. at first. Right. So, so yeah, actually there's a whole bunch of ways I didn't get traction. Let's see. Uh, but with this, so it took me a couple of years. I mean, we had lots of failures. First trying to develop, I mean, I still remember with the cartilage on the one hand, you know, working on this stuff and, you know, I had this technician and he knocked a whole bunch of stuff on the floor. And so I had to start over again. But anyhow, after a couple of years, I had, a you know, maybe 50 or 100 fractions. And on the polymers, I kept trying over and over again. I mean, I found hundreds of ways to fail. But eventually I figured out a way to get this to work. And, you know, so we published a couple of papers in 1976, one in science, which was the isolation of the first angiogenesis inhibitors, and uh-huh. one in nature, which was a, showing how you could design materials to deliver molecules of sort of any size or charge. And, you know, that was exciting to get to that point. It took me a while, but it was exciting to get to that point. But then... Uh, a variety of things would happen where I wouldn't get traction. One was that um, I'd apply for uh, grants. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. And I, my first nine grants were rejected. I probably that year I would also apply for jobs Uh now because I like being a postdoc but most of my friends said it's not great to be a postdoc your whole life right yeah and and so I started applying for faculty jobs and I think certain departments were intrigued by what I'd done because it was very different yeah but then when I really interviewed at those departments no chemical engineering department in the country would hire me because in the end I think they felt what I was doing wasn't chemical engineering they felt it didn't fit so I got no chemical engineering jobs. It's, like, I, it's that box thing again. You didn't fit into that box of what a chemical engineering faculty position did, would look like. At yeah. that, certainly not at that time. Yeah. yeah, It's just ironic now that over 300 of my students are, are professors. Yeah. Yeah. And that half the chemical engineering, or a lot of the chemical engineering departments around the world actually now have chemical and, and bioengineering in their title. But, yeah. Yeah. but they sure didn't then. 
Um, at any rate, so then I, um, so so that wasn't so good, and I mean the patent thing took much longer. So I'll go over that probably later. I mean, but but now you know seventy six, seventy seven. So I wasn't getting jobs, wasn't getting grants, and so I ended up joining what was then the nutrition department at MIT. Uh, and and so that's where I started. And, I mean, that was only because the guy who was head of the department, you know, was in favor of me coming. I don't think most other people were. Wait, so with all these things we just mentioned, first sending out the letters for the, the curriculum, yeah. uh, sending out the letters to schools, not getting anything back, the grants, nine grants are all rejected. You can't get positions. As At some point you're thinking, like, I'm going about this the wrong way. Right. I mean, I'm getting uh, these are strong headwinds and everything yeah. is telling me no. Yeah. Did you think about, well, may- maybe I need to try some other path here? Well, I kept trying them, you know, in a way. Right. You know, I, I wasn't doing very well. And I uh, guess that's right. Yeah. yeah. You kept trying. Different yeah. Ones along I, I the kept way. trying different things along the way because some of them weren't working. Then once I was doing some of the research, I felt and that was good when I got done. When I after my two or three years at Children's Hospital with Dr. Folkman, I, I really did have a different way of thinking about it because in 1974, I, I, I did get a, a, a job offer to to be a professor in 1974, but I felt I didn't have any really good ideas. Yeah. Now, 1976, 77, I thought I had a lot of good ideas. I yeah. thought I had ideas that could really be transformative, and I wanted to do them. And I and and then I could see that research really could be a very wonderful thing to do. And and I wanted to do it, and I wanted to push these ideas through, but people didn't, other than me, necessarily believe in them. So so it was a little bit of a shift in terms of how I started to think about things, you know. So then let's. I think I think the next sort of thing is yeah, you do start thinking about patents, and eventually this leads us to Enzotec, right. right? Right, that's right. So with patents, so with patents, we did in 1976, just before we sent the Nature paper in. We filed for a patent, and of course, there that's a much lower process. I mean, but the examiners rejected it, you know, every single year. Yeah, and and that was very discouraging. I mean, though we did eventually get the patent, uh, largely because I found quotes where people said that this was surprising, impossible, and stuff like that. What we did, but uh, but it, it was it took something like seven years. I, 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 um, but what, why were you patenting, Bob? Did you think uh, this has industry use? Yeah, just, well, I did because, doc, I mean, Dr. Folkman said, Bob, we should file a patent. Uh. And, 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 and he wasn't necessarily a big patent guy either. He had filed a couple of patents before. but He, he just knew, yeah. But he just saw it, said, Bob, this is, this is, you know, this is novel. I mean, this is really a big deal. We should file a patent. So, you know, he was my boss, and, and I, I, you know, and he was a very sharp guy. So yeah. we filed a patent. Okay. Yeah. We probably should have filed patents on angiogenesis inhibitors too. We yeah. didn't, but yeah. you know, but this, you know, we we did. Okay. Then so then how is it that you end up actually founding a company? You know, your first yeah. one. Yeah. So what happened there? So now we. So I did go to MIT uh, on the faculty, and I did a little bit of consulting from say 1980 to 85. Different companies like Merck and others would ask me to consult. Um, and I'd have venture capitalists come in to see me from time to time and ask me about starting companies, and I, I really didn't think about it that much. I didn't do it. I, but then Alex Klebanoff, who's a very close friend of mine, then still is, and he was a professor in the same department I was, and, um, and, and he said, Bob, we should, and we should start a company. 
and I thought, yeah, you know, we could do that. And I had uh, so 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 a couple things on, on that. So we had had um, the patents that we had when I was at Children's. It must have been uh, a couple years before we started. And Alex said that what happened is, is I get this call from both uh, International Minerals and Chemicals, which is a big animal health company, and also Eli Lilly, which is you know famous medical yeah. company. Yeah. And they asked me if I would do some consulting for them, particularly on drug delivery. And and I did, and I mentioned the patents, and they decided they wanted to license them. And also, you know, I they said they'd give me a grant, they could they'd give me a consulting fee and stuff like that. And I, I thought that was great, not just because of the money that I would get, in fact, that was secondary, but because I thought that this was great. I, I kind of like a dream, something I did in the lab might actually get out and help people. Yeah, yeah. But then the problem was is they'd do some experiments and, you know, maybe they wouldn't work right the first or the second time or more, and they'd kind of give up. So that wasn't happening. So the, not, so in the end, they gave up on all the technology. So when Alex said about starting a company, I thought, well, maybe I could get these patents back and, and use them here and get some of our students who were very excited about this and and um, create a company to make microspheres. That's kind of what... Alex and I were thinking about and our vision was that we could come up with ideas for using making novel types of microspheres for drug delivery so pharmaceuticals and novel microspheres for foods huh. you know which might be fat substitutes or yeah. other things yeah. so that was Enzotech and that's how we started it so can I when, yeah because I find this interesting so you went to Lilly and said hey uh, you know I know you guys license these patents out it doesn't seem like you're using them how can I get them back and they're like we don't we're we're done with them actually. We've shelved it. Yeah. What so happened? I so it was so I did, but I mean also the the guy Al Brasagini, he was uh, the licensing guy at, at at Children's. He he t- would talk to them too, you know, because it's it's I'm not an official of yeah. either the hospital or MIT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but so yeah, so I, but I said, can we try to get them back? And they said, yeah. They weren't using. They were, they'd given up, sort of. Yeah, they'd yeah. given up. Oh, yeah. that seems yeah. like you know a great stroke of luck, or not luck, but I mean. Yeah. Well, I would have been perfectly happy if they had. I mean, I. I would have. I mean, I wanted to have them use it for the things they want to use it oh, for. Oh, I know. Yeah. But I'm not saying they, they'd sort of given up on that. Yeah. Oh, right? they had. They yeah. could have just died there, but they said, "No, go ahead and take them back." And then you were able. I think to... the hospital put, probably put enough pressure. I think there. Were, I I don't know enough about how the contracts were written, yeah. but I think that there are clauses that if people don't do something, that you we can, can get them back. back. Oh, okay. I see. And I know all MIT right. has that kind of stuff. Too, I see. You know? All right. So then they best, they got them back and started. Well, I, I don't know all the contractual things, so I don't. But but I know we I know we got them back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know that for sure. Yeah. So then, uh, were you the founding CEO? Or no, I founding I, scientist. No, I, well, as a founder, but I wasn't. You know, if you're at MIT, you're you know you're not. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I wasn't anything other than just a founder. But I spent a good deal of time. Yeah, you didn't leave your position at MIT. I didn't leave my position, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I I so I, I I spent a lot of time doing that, but that was great. Yeah. Did so? Did, did that? You know, that was your first one. Did you yeah. then? Uh, you get your feet wet, and you thought, "Well, this is this is great. I like this. I like seeing my work go out and become something that might be products that might help people." Yeah, I did like that. I liked the fact that it was helping, and I, and I think my students liked it. They, I, four of them went there, and 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 my friends liked it. So yeah, so either my collaborators and friends wanted to do it, or other students in the lab wanted to do it because they could see that this was a way that you could take ideas that you'd spent you know really a lot of time on and you care about yeah 
and and now that was a vehicle to move them from an idea to to really maybe someday helping people. Yeah, and this was kind. Of, I mean, it's nothing like it is now. I mean, MIT no. now is just a spin out machine. So this yeah. must have been pretty novel, right? I mean, people are yeah watching you do this and think, oh, okay, you know, this is um it's a whole new way of getting your 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 research out there. Yeah, there was a little bit done, but most of it that was taking other general ideas, not necessarily what you had done yourself, and and coming up with with companies and. Yeah, here was we were we were taking ideas that you know we really had developed in the lab and 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 licensing them and creating companies. Yeah, so it was it was different uh, for the most part, and um, you know, probably a few examples. But then I, you know, we we certainly probably have done more than anybody. Oh know. yeah, no no. So then so NZ Tech just to close this ends up being folded into Alchemies, right? right? Exactly. Which has become a huge drug delivery company yeah, and, and yeah. A, a real. Stalwart of the biotech industry for years, right? Yeah, oh yeah, still is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And right. then, and then I think you, then I think you started moving into tissue regeneration. Is that well, right? Well, we did that too. Yeah, we did. Uh, I that, mean, that, that Jay Vacanti and I probably around 1983, we came up with this idea of using polymers and cells to make, you know, different tissues, and yeah, and, and companies would come out of that too. Still do. That was your your second company was a tissue regeneration company. Yeah, that was like Neomorphics. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And that I think led to your like, okay, now you're a full professor at MIT. Well, I think I actually, yeah. Well, I became a full professor at MIT probably be so. I think I became a full professor at MIT maybe even before those any of those companies start. I, I think I became a full professor here in 1985, if I remember. But I might have started about some of the companies, but I think. The way you get to be full professor or any kind of professor is probably not because certainly not then, not because of companies. It's, it's you know, but there's grants. the papers and yeah. the grants. Yeah, the papers, and, right? Yeah. yeah. So, it was, but mostly I think the papers and and now of course with the major way I think at a place like this is what other people think of you. They write letters to about or at least then they wrote them to about twenty people who are you know a lot better known than I was and see what they say about you about getting yeah getting a full professorship yeah yeah. So you've never uh, obviously you haven't but. Um, you know, the idea of just leaving MIT and running a company, you know, running it in, for the next 20 years, you've never considered Yeah, that. well, I considered a little bit. I mean, of course, the things I considered probably weren't small. I mean, I'd gotten offers to run giant pharmaceutical companies from, you know, president of R&D or whatever, but I, I didn't want to do that either. I, 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 I love working with the students. I love being here. I love, you know, coming up with ideas or helping them come up with ideas and moving them forward. I think it's I, I just really like the academic life. It's it's just, yeah. uh, and, I, and I feel in the end I can make more of an impact that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, I don't actually know the number, but do you have any idea how many companies you're, or maybe I do know the number, how many companies have been spun out through your technology? I think now, well, see, Harvard Business Review said 40 when they wrote this thing about two years ago, and I'd say now it's probably about 42, yeah, something like That's that. That's a tremendous amount. Yeah. yeah, and then there's over 350, maybe now over 400 licenses or sub-licenses from other patents or even those patents because those companies do things with other companies. So, yeah, there's a lot. It's it's uh so I think uh, there's a question I want to ask you, and it, it, sort sure. of, it sort of deals with, like, volume, this idea of yeah. volume, right? I mean, so... Forty plus companies have been spun out. Um, I mean, th these are this stuff is all over the internet. You've written fourteen hundred publications or more. Uh, you're well over a thousand patents. Something like um, I mean, looking around your office, like two hundred and twenty major awards have come down your way. Yeah. And and you look at that, the idea of an award ceremony. You know, like you'll read something where a woman says like she had nine children and they all sort of blur together, and that's childbirth, like this ridiculously hard thing yeah, that you know yeah. your body's forced to do. When I think about like. 
your career of like 220 awards, it must is it just a blur of it really isn't you know it's funny and even even things like what well, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking you know even now i mean I, I mean maybe i should be like this but even now like if one of my students gets a paper like in science or nature if we get a grant you know if i get an award i mean i still it makes you me really happy happy you know? yeah. yeah i mean and so so I mean I and I I remember all of it you know but I, but like the thing that that I I think about when I think about something like what you said is a, it's still a thrill for me and probably always will be when something good happens you know and something good could be anything from like a, a you know a, a, you know because you always feel like there's a challenge if I, you know you you get I mean it could be you know, getting a paper out in, in, a, in a really good place. It could be getting a grant. It could be, like you say, an award. Could even be like even when my students are fighting to get good jobs. I mean, I'm I'm in there fighting for them. I yeah. want to make sure they get. You know, I, I, I'm writing to people. You know, to if let's say one of my students, you know, he wasn't sure whether he was going to get a professorship at Rice or whatever. A couple of weeks ago, so I'm, you know, I'm in writing to people. Really, this guy's really good. You know, but I, I so it's still, it's all these things still mean a lot to me, and I, I um, and I expect they always will. I'm not sure how that works, but it isn't a, isn't a blur. Interestingly, yeah. I mean, I, I guess if it stopped meaning something to you, maybe it's time to stop doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe that's right. But but it, it's sometimes it almost surprises me that it still means so much. And by the way, I should also say that the opposite is you know if something bad happens, I it makes me very upset. It hurts, you know, yeah. it, it hurts. Somebody doesn't get a job, paper gets rejected, grant gets turned down. I mean. I don't like that very much, you yeah. know. I mean, and I'm I'm upset about it. So I, I, you know, you feel about it both those ways. So when you when you sort of look back at you, you look back at all the companies that have sort of come out. Are there, are there a few that stand out as being like, well, that really pushed the field forward, or um, you could see that other companies started to be formed with that one as a model? Yeah. Well, I think different ones in in different ways. You know, like we talked about Enzatech Alchemies, which is I think yeah. a great thing. I, you know, I I. I um, I, I've been involved in uh, El Nylum as a founding scientific advisory board from the beginning. I think they've done a fantastic yeah, yeah. job. Moderna is a company I helped start, you know, which is messenger RNA. I think that, again, I think they've done a, you know, I'm still on the board from the beginning, and I, I think they've done a fantastic job. But then, you know, there have been others that have been, uh, you know, very different in different ways. You know, we've done some in, 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 in you know, some of the work we did on with Ram Sasaskaran, who was one of my postdocs on heparinases, and and you know, so we started Momenta, and that would, could make new polysaccharide kind of drugs. So, so those are all, I mean, examples. But and then there's some newer ones that I'm 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 very excited about too. That I think, you know, may make a, a really big difference. You know, like uh, Lindra, which is coming up with you know, super long acting oral dosage forms or frequency, which is developing new uh, ways of maybe combating hearing loss and other things. And then there was like air, new aerosol. So like uh -huh. across the board, there's been a number of, of, of different ones and, and all in different areas. So I like to think that that they all, you know, I'm, I'm sort of proud of all of them just because it's like, you know, it's your kids in a way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> all uh, 42 of your kids out there. Right, right. Um, I, I want to ask you this too, but it's sort of about mortality. But you know, you said your father died kind of young, like in his sixties or 61, early sixties. Yeah, sixty-one. And it was a was it a heart issue? Heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. So did, when that happened, obviously besides the loss in your life, were you thinking, okay, well, that's probably maybe genetic, and I need to, uh, you know, begin to? I think he started to exercise more. Or, or 
I did. Yeah. I t- well, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, so when he died, I was 28. Yeah, that's young. And I, um, so I, there were a couple things I did, not immediately. I mean, but the two things that I did, and I think by, when I was 30, I, I used to love meat. I used to love hamburgers and steaks and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and, red meat. And, and red meat. And I, I, but my cholesterol might have been 220 or something like that. And I gave up the red meat, and that knocked my cholesterol down about 25 points. So that was one thing I did. And the others, I started exercising, you know, maybe a year or two after that. And I've just continued to exercise. I mean, so I've spent a lot of time on the treadmill or the exercise bike and or lifting weights. And, of course, now I'm 70, so I've been doing it for, you know, a, a good good 40 years, you know. I mean, when you so you've outlived your father by, you know, wide margin now. You look at that and go, well, okay, I mean, you know, whatever was plaguing his heart, I've sort of taken care of it or... Well, I, I, I still, I'm still scared about it. You know, I still, I, I mean, now, of course, you know, there's different medicines, like I take a statin. Yeah. I think every time I... Better monitoring, for sure. Yeah, well, and I, I, I mean, but I, I'm still, it still scares the heck out of me. You know, I just, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I watch, I, I, I get on the scale every day to make sure I'm not, not too fat and, or anything <laughs> or too heavy and... I, I um, other than desserts, I, I I try to eat very well, and I like I say, I exercise a lot, so I'm 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 very concerned about it. Yeah, I, I still always be in my mind, and and part of it's just it's I just want to be there for my kids and my wife and the people I care about, like in the lab and other things. That 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 means a lot to me. Yeah, your wife's also a researcher, right? Well, she has a PhD in neuroscience, so in that sense, but but mostly she she's actually more of an artist now. She does a lot of, I mean, she's spent a lot of time with our kids, and but uh, but she does a lot of artwork and she's oh. great at it. So, but I mean, Laura, she's the kind of person who's good at everything, and, yeah. and so yeah, she would have done great in research if she did more of that. But uh, she's. Uh, Pretty amazing artist too. So. Is it painting or, or what is she? Yeah, doing? different types of painting, but she has different different ideas, and also she's been, you know. Designed like our house, and, and we also have a house in the Cape, and she, yeah. So she, she but different kinds of things like yeah, that. Yeah. Know. Are your children interested in science at all? They're actually interestingly <laughs> two of them. My two oldest, um, Michael, who's twenty nine, he works at Pair Therapeutics, which is a digital medicine company, and they're in the Seaport area. And he's kind of doing like different business deals for them. So it's like the interface of business and 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 technology, uh, and. And, and, and they have created apps and have gotten some approved, actually, for uh, people with opioid addiction. My daughter wow. works at Biogen, and she's uh, she's been promoted about six times, and she's uh, director of uh, a, a director of strategy for them, and 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 so she's uh, done done really well. And my youngest son, he's uh, uh, twenty five, and he's doing like he's majored in psychology and he's got a bunch of ideas about what he wants to do so i think it's like the interface of of science and other things yeah you know so yeah i want to ask you this too it's it's sort of like you know as i was telling you this before you know when i was doing research there you're well known there's lots of stuff out there about you right and i kept coming across the same bits of information that the media had sort of grabbed onto that you got four offers from Exxon alone, right? That you got 20 offers from, from uh, right, right. gas companies and turned them down. Sure. That you have this many patents or whatever. And it's almost like you can feel the media kind of like building a legend around you based on these really interesting <laughs> facts, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look at that, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you feel like that is an accurate representation of you. Well, I think, I think it's accurate. I mean, I actually think 
uh, my wife says, I said, you know, I actually think, you know, you could, I mean, all that's true. I actually think I'm a pretty simple person, you know. I, I, I don't think I'm a pretty easy person in a way, you know, like I... I you do I, think you're an easy person. Easy in the sense that I, I feel like, how should I say this? You know, some people, I, I mean, I don't think if, I, I, I think students think I'm easy enough to talk to, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't think uh, they, they find it that hard to talk to me, and or anybody does, I, at least I hope not, and so I, I, I guess I think I'm a pretty straightforward person, and, and, and ter- you yeah, know, so I, I, so like being a legend or something, that sort of seems strange to me, you know, I just feel like I'm just some guy from Albany, New York, and I'm doing this stuff. <laughs> some guy who used to crawl under the yeah, pool table pool in his dad's t- ex- ex- Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you wrote this paper for us about, um, oh, I, I want to ask you about this too, about sort of like what you th- what you think about or what you think needs to be present in order to start a, a company, yeah, a, yeah. a good one. And, I mean, that about broke the internet for us. I mean, people were really, really interested in knowing your thoughts on how to start a company. I mean, lots of people want to do it these days. Yeah. Everyone, everyone thinks they're going to be an entrepreneur. And so I wanted to ask you, um, you know, what are those things? You sort of mentioned, well, one is the the person who's going to start the company should have been working with it for at least like five years or something, right? Well, the research. So I th- I, what, I, what I meant by that, especially if it's in medicine, the, the timelines to try to do something medical are long. Uh-huh. And I think if you start something too early, then the problem is in, investors could end up getting tired, number one. And it may take just a tremendous amount of time before you'll have any type of profitability. So you have to have ways to finance the companies, and and so I think you, and 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 it's there's so many ways you can fail. So I think you want to have at least some significant proof of principle yeah. before you start the company. And I think to get that probably takes a good five years for I most see. things. That was one aspect. Two two was. Um uh, sort of, it should be a, a platform that it can be applied yeah. in various areas, and I felt that's probably sort of to like decrease your risk a little bit, right? It decreases your risk, and and also it, see if I if you just had, I mean, to me, if I just had one product, like say, let's say I had a product that could only be used for one thing, meaning one disease, you know, like some device to do uh, one thing with one molecule. That that would be one thing, but maybe then you'd license it to some company or whatever. But a platform means you could use it for a hundred things, and if you just license that to a company, and those hundred things were a hundred different drugs, then you'd really lessen the impact that it could have. I mean, so let's just take if you took Moderna, if they just gave all their messenger RNA to Company X, that's going to have less impact than if they end up doing some themselves, some with. 30 other companies are making that up. But, you know, so I think how do you, uh, same with Alchemies, you know, if you, if you, you could just have more impact if you have a platform. Yeah. And, and, if, and also, I remember one time, one guy at a company was visiting me and the company, you know, you always want to learn things. And he was a vice president uh, in a local company. And he, and, and he said, you know, he's looking for a new job. And I, you know, we were just start talking. I said, well, why do you think your company didn't do better? He said, well, you know, we actually have done really well. He said, we have four products in the clinic. He said, but each of them has a different manufacturing procedure, and it's very expensive to do any one of them. And, you know, we don't have that kind of money to do four manufacturing things. So, you know, you, ha- so it's, you can really only do one. Yeah. And I think that was, when he said that, I thought that was like a, a really good point, that if you did have a, a single platform, 
you can just sort of do a plug and play in a way, and, yeah. that, and that's much. So I, I, that that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so it's not it's not as if um, those other companies shouldn't be formed, but no. if but you have a greater chance of success if you form them like this. I think that's right. I think that you have a greater chance of success, and you can and if you do have a failure, you can learn from that failure. Yeah. I mean, the challenge with any of these companies is it takes a lot of funding. It's it's very easy to not do well, and so you want to have enough funding, you know, to capitalize on the good science and recognizing that not everything's going to work. Yeah. Okay, I, th- I think there's two things I want to ask you. Of course. Uh, one is, I, so again, you know, I was doing the research, and I came across this number, and I kind of had to just stare at the screen for a second. It said that the, they estimate, I don't know who did the estimation or, or what the math yeah. was, but that the products that have come out of your lab here have had an effect or touched the lives of 2 billion people, right? Yeah, which, I think I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of staggering when you think about it. And I thought, well, okay, if this is, you know, you, you were somebody who didn't want to work on um, work for an oil company yeah. to increase yield, right? Right. Which would have been, a, by the way, which would have been fine. I mean, that would have been something useful for the world, right? No, sure. But you could not have possibly imagined that your work would somehow go on to be, I mean, you might have thought, well, I might have a drug one day, but I mean, that right. just seems staggering. You couldn't have imagined that. No, I, 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 I mean, I don't think I would have ever imagined any of this. You know, I mean, I never, you know, I, I, I just wanted to see our work do some good. And I, I don't think I would have ever imagined. I mean, like I say, I didn't. I wasn't able to get MIT as a as an undergraduate. Yeah. I don't think I would have ever dreamed that I'd be sitting here today as a professor here or doing any of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I and the fact that we've been able. I mean, whether it's any of those numbers that you've mentioned, I. I mean, I'm, it sort of shocks me that uh, that they've happened. Yeah. Um, I'm very glad they have, but I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's certainly um, you know. The dream, the dream was I, I had simpler dream or at least expectations. You know, I guess you dream. All, I'm, a, I'm a dreamer, but I, I certainly never expected anything like this would happen. Yeah, you far surpassed the simpler dream. Yeah, yeah. So I've been lucky. Yeah. All right. Well, this this is a, the final question. No, um, sure, that's fine. The other thing that I read it said that you were the most cited engineer in the history of the world, right? Yeah, Which, I've seen that too. Uh, I thought, okay. And I'm, I'm asking you to address like that as a as sure. a fact. Why would that be? I mean, it's possible that you are the smartest engineer that ever oh, lived. Oh, I doubt I'm the smartest. Right. So, is it you know is it a timing issue? Is it the area that you worked in? Is it um, the growth of pharma as yeah. you as, you know? What, what do you think it is that that's attributed to? Well, I think a couple of th- things. I mean, and I so I think the yeah, H index. I mean, that's something you've asked me for. Yeah. That other, the, the thing that you write, and I think it's like 264 now. And yeah. I think actually the last time I looked, it's actually the fifth. Highest it's of any, huge. anybody. It's huge. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so why and engineers? I mean, and the other thing I notice when I look at one of those lists is, I mean, there's, I mean, I don't know if there's any engineer. I mean, a, a lot of the people who have high H indexes are, you know, molecular biologists or Sigmund Freud or, or you know, great philosopher Michel Foucault or you know, or different epidemiologists. So I don't think there's very many engineers that. You know, are, are that high? I think, and that gets to part of your question, is that I don't think engineers publish. You know, like I'm an engineer, but I probably publish a lot of more bio kind of stuff, and the uh, bio kind of stuff that goes in like a science or nature. You know, that that gets cited a lot more. Like, like I mean, just I think this is right. I might have it a little bit wrong, but the chemical engineering journals—that's my discipline. And when I was a chemical engineering student, that's where people would publish and. 
I think their impact factors are not that high, you know, maybe one or something. Yeah, like. yeah. But then if you look at science or nature, they're probably like 40. Yeah. And so what I learned from Folkman, Dr. Folkman, is that, you know, he said, well, let's try to publish in science or nature. And I, you know, we probably have well over 100 papers in those journals, maybe quite a bit more. And, yeah. And so... I see your point, yeah. So so, so I think really where we've differed... So, so one big... So, I, so if I were just breaking the things down, I'd say one is, and, I, and it's not like that means that our work is any better than other engineers, but engineers don't necessarily publish a tremendous amount, and they don't necessarily publish in the types of journals that I publish in. Um, that and, and, and third, that I'd also add to this is, yeah, I've had a really big group. I mean, our, yeah. our lab has very interdisciplinary and it's also very um it's it's been very academic in the sense i i may i i sort of have taken the attitude that i would learn from people like dr folkman who are more of a biology kind of person to you know that publishing is a important thing to do so yeah, yeah. i emphasize that and i always try to get people excited about publishing and so our lab we do publish a lot yeah and that's reflected and i see yeah so i I think that those would be the reasons yeah um it's a good question i I have to think about that more but i think (laughs) um good that's perfect thank you thank you oh no it's my pleasure good talk great talk really enjoyed talking to bob langer so thank you bob for making the time have me into your office i really appreciate it Thank you, as always, to the Midwest Quiet for use of your music in this podcast. Thank you to listeners. We started this podcast years ago, and it has grown considerably. What else can I say? I will get some information. I will, you know, as I mentioned in this podcast, Bob Langer wrote a paper for us about well, what he finds necessary to start a biotech company. I'll pull that paper out, and I will put a post up in our bioengineering community page. If you have comments on this podcast, our journal, or anything else that we do, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Nature Biotech. You can find us and speak to us there. Anything else I should tell you, I don't think so, or I can't think of it anyway. So that is all. Thank you and goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.